When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome in to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Thursday, June 16th. Michael Beller and Al Melchior here steering you through this episode of TAFBP. It is Thursday, which means we have a guest with us as well. We will introduce him in just a second, but first... Let me say what's up to Al Melchior. Al, what's going on, man? What is up? I am impressed here with the way you just rolled off the acronym very naturally. I deal with a lot of acronyms in this because I host this show and then I host the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, which you call TAFFP. I host Best on the Board, our gambling podcast called that BOB or sometimes BOTB. So I'm so used to doing them that once I remember what show I'm doing, the acronym actually comes pretty naturally. If I'm going to get into trouble, it's I'm going to call this, hey, welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. That's where the trouble's going to happen for me. Once I get that first sentence out, then where all systems go. All right. Well, I'm ready for some baseball talk. Not only baseball talk, Al, but closer talk specifically. To do that, we bring on Greg Jewett. You can, of course, read all of Greg's great work here at The Athletic. He's got a fresh closer, reliever, really everything that runs the gamut. If a guy doesn't start a game, you can find it in Greg's column just published on Wednesday. I want to say, or published on Tuesday, updated on Wednesday. So this is some fresh, fresh stuff in the column that we're going to dig into on this episode of the Fantasy Baseball Pod. Greg, what's going on, man? Not much. Thanks for having me on, gentlemen. It's always uh, always an honor to be on the show. Damn, an honor. My God. Mm-hmm. Al, we got a lot to live up to here over these next four years or so. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. All right, let's get it. Let's get into it, Greg. We're going it to... Is, it is June 16th. We are, I don't know, what, like six weeks away? A mm-hmm. month and a half away from the trade deadline. We know there's... That's the hottest commodity at the trade deadline, you know, nine times out of ten with the way baseball's played, is going to be the best closer who is made available. We know that is true, and we always play that speculation game in the fantasy world. So we're going to talk about that You know, sometimes specifically. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit more tangential to our discussion on this episode, uh, but it's going to be there. And so I want to ask you, before we actually get into specific players, specific bullpens, how do you decide on June 16th or June 18th or June 22nd when to say when on speculating on a closer? What goes into that decision? Team, the likelihood of his, the person ahead of him getting traded? Like, how do you make that decision? How do you know when it's right to say, yes, this is a guy I want to grab right now, even though he doesn't have a closer's job at the moment? Well, that that's very difficult uh, in the current climate when you're looking at the everyday more injuries accumulate um, and, and, you know, the article published on Tuesday, and I would say the article was out for about two hours and it was already outdated with the, <laughs> the amount of news that dropped on Tuesday afternoon once it publishes. And that's the unfortunate world of, of relievers. As far as what you asked, I, I think what we're, we're paying attention to, and, and I do it on Reliever Recon, is about at the end of every month when we go into it, 
start looking at the playoff odds and just really you're trying to project who's going to be selling. And, you know, we, we know that the, the way things are going right now, Detroit's going to be selling and they've got a couple of expiring contracts. Colorado should be selling. They had to have learned from their lessons last year. Um, there's no reason for them to keep Daniel Bard unless they're going to sign him to an extension. Uh, and obviously they should probably deal Alex Colome as well. Uh, so, so you're looking at clearly identifying six teams that you know are probably going to end up selling. And I think you can probably add the Cubs to that. They signed a whole bunch of veteran relievers to one-year contracts knowing that it would just proliferate their rebuild by flipping them at the trade deadline and getting more prospects. So identifying those situations, I think, are the, the keys. Unfortunately, like with Colorado, with Tyler Kinley now being out for the season, it changes who you might want to target in that bullpen. Now we kind of have to go back into a wait-and-see mold and see who emerges over the next couple of weeks as as their potential high-leverage uh, replacement for Bard and Colome if they deal them. Well, Greg, I know we're going to get to that situation and probably some of these others that uh, will likely be flipping in the next uh, month to month and a half. Uh, but I want to focus in on a situation that's uh, a very recently changed situation. One of those breaking news items that you just referred to, and that is uh, the Phillies decision to take Corey mm-hmm. Knable out of the closers role. How do you see this situation? Do you think that Knable is just going to be out for a short while and just you know try to get right? with a couple of lower leverage appearances, or do you think that it really is an appropriate time, first of all, to move on from him, and secondly, to speculate on uh, a potential alternative in that bullpen? I don't think Philadelphia wants to move on from him. The only way that would have happened is if they fell out and then he would have been a trade situation as well since he's on a one-year deal. I, I think the way they constructed their bullpen, if things go right, then Knable is their closer. Um, I do very much like what Sir Anthony Dominguez has done this year. He's he's really turned the corner. You know, he led this team in saves a couple of years ago. It's not like he's a forgotten commodity. It's just a matter of, you know, they they they, they signed Knable on the one year deal. They wanted to do more, but he wanted the one year thing, so he had options at the end of the season. And but this also allowed them to see what they had in Dominguez and other things. And actually, Connor Brogdon has pitched much better the last two weeks. So they've got some developing things there. And then you've got Brad Hand can be a matchups play uh, if they want to do that sort of a thing. So you could see the next two weeks where they might mix and match based on the the late inning matchup, which you know we hate seeing, but the old closer by committee format with Dominguez and Brad Hand probably in there since he's a veteran with closer experience. Um, you know, he's not getting the strikeouts like he used to in the past, but in a pinch against a, if two out of three hitters are going to be left-handed in the ninth, then you're probably going to see him over Dominguez in that situation. Uh, but I would see Dominguez as the primary option and then hand filling in with the ancillary saves and those matchups that we just spoke about going forward with Brogdon filling in in the eighth inning for either one of those guys or however they want to mix and match it going forward. Alvarado's just too volatile uh, mm-hmm. and the other situations there. So you know, I know some people bid on Sir Anthony last weekend, so I would definitely hold on to him in that situation. Um, if you want to add him, you can. Just don't go crazy because we don't know if it's a two-week window or a rest-of-the-season window, and that's that's the hardest part with all these situations. 
Daniel Hudson's been a, a really valuable reliever for, mm-hmm. for fantasy managers for the Dodgers this season and don't really see that changing. Certainly not for the Dodgers, but obviously his fantasy situation uh, changes a little bit with Craig Kimbrell back in the ninth inning. In Solds Leagues, you know, Daniel Hudson's obviously mm-hmm. an easy keep. Those opportunities are going to keep piling up on this Dodgers team. Is there enough here in saves-only leagues for you to want to hold on to Hudson? In a 15-team, yes. In a 12-team, it's difficult. It just depends on your situation. I, I hate saying it, but it's always context-dependent. Oh, yeah. um, but no, with, sure. with, the, with, the, with the ratio protection he's provided and, and a decent amount of strikeouts, I, I think he's viable in a 12-team. It just really depends on where you are in the mix. If you're really trying to move up, you might have to get somebody that's in a bigger timeshare. Um, the, the thing with Kimbrell is very hard to read is he, he ramped up his velocity the other day and then he uncorked those wild pitches and, and had like a 33 strike percentage in that outing. And then last night he dialed back the velocity back to the 96 range. His command was better and he only gave up that RBI single, but it was a leadoff triple mm-hmm. against Tyler Anderson that, that let the inherited runner score. So it wasn't a horrible outing for Kimbrell. So it's which iteration of Kimbrell we're going to get the one with, a little bit better command, but less velocity, or the one that's trying to overthrow, and that seems to get him into trouble. Um, so he's, you know, if you have Kimbrell, I think it's almost necessary to handcuff him with Hudson. But uh, for the Hudson people, like I said, 15 team, yes, 12 team, you might be able to find a better option if it's necessary for you to move up in the standings. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Greg, it seems like it's been a while since we've had a, a new closer uh, come on the scene that seems to have a, a big share of the uh, the appearances. And, and now we've got, you know, argu- arguably three. We've got uh, Tanner Scott for the Marlins, who's been getting pretty steady uh, mm-hmm. opportunities. Tanner Houck in Boston. Uh, you've got Kendall mm-hmm. Graveman uh, with the White Sox. Um, I just want, I want to focus in on Scott first because he had a pretty brutal outing on Wednesday against the Phillies, gave up uh, a home run that uh, turned it from a Marlins win to a Marlins loss, was one strike away from actually escaping a jam. Uh, should we be worried about that? Those of us who spent a lot of fab on Tanner Scott last weekend, do you think that uh, that that's putting him in some jeopardy? I don't think so. Uh, you know, when you throw sliders 70% of the time, you're going to hang one. And he hung one uh, to Stubbs, and, and Stubbs did not miss it. Now, earlier in that sequence, there was a there was a borderline strike that the umpire did not call that lit up on the, uh, you know, the if it had been a robotic ump, that strike might have been tallied, and then that at-bat doesn't happen. So, you know, he his command, again, he, he needs command. So when he was on fire the first six outings in June, he was throwing strikes about 70% of the time with a 21 swing strike rate. In that outing yesterday, um, he only threw strikes 59% of the time, which put him into deeper counts, and that's where he gets into trouble. He, he needs to attack early and then let his slider eat. 
Um, so when his command is off just even slightly with the slider and the and the four seam, he struggles a bit. And you've seen that happen. And he, he had a dust up on his last outing in May, and then he turned around and turned in those great six outings that led us to add him in fab money. So uh, Mattingly's pretty loyal, so I don't think it'll be an issue, especially with Cole Solcer going on the injured list. Um, the only the only chance you might have is uh, Anthony Bass might work his way in, but it seems like Manningly really prefers him as a setup option only. And been a pretty valuable setup option, certainly mm-hmm. for the Marlins, really regardless of who's been coming in behind him to polish off uh, the Marlins' uh, close wins here and there. Uh, from one Tanner to another, it's just like an episode of Full House. Tanner Houck, <laughs> the answer in Boston? I mean, we've been looking for one for a while here. Is Tanner Houck the guy? Uh, I think so. Now, what we want to know is, is he going to be a one-inning guy or is he going to be the Swiss Army Knife sort of Garrett Whitlock version uh, of, a, of a reliever for Alex Cora? So uh, the next week or so, I think, will give us much better intel. But he, in the two save chances he got in Seattle, he converted both and he looks very good. Um, his stuff plays much better. And I, you know, I, years ago, scouts kind of hinted that they thought he'd be a better reliever than a starter based on his uh, pitch offerings. So, and we're starting to see that now. Uh, I, I'm very bullish on Hauk. It's it's unfortunate because like the one share I have of him, I had three other closers. I had him as a as a upside starter place. So now I got to make a decision mm-hmm. in the end of BC. Do I drop one of these guys? That's that's the unfortunate part when you're in a uh, non-trade league when you get too many options, but it, it is what it is, so I'll figure it out. But um, you can play the matchups game there if you want to. But, yes, I, I think Hauk is very good. Now, the other thing we want to watch is what are they going to do with Chris Sale? Is he going to come back as a starter, or are they going to expedite his arrival time and use him? Yes. They, they can end up having a tandem of Sale and Hauk as, like, you know, four out-save guys or however they want to rock uh-huh. it. Uh, once he gets and... back so yeah they they you know that'd be a hell of a tandem back there and that would take them out of the trade market there and then they could go after a starter um so i'm really curious how the red sox are going to handle chris sales return but you can see a dynamic duel in the back of that bullpen yeah well the latest report suggests that the, at least the the red sox want to use sales as starter but mm-hmm. I, I definitely do have some skepticism it's one thing to have a plan it's another thing mm-hmm. For that plan to go perfectly as you envision it. So I think, yeah, yeah there's still a lot up in the air there in Boston. Uh, now, uh, I had referenced Kendall Graveman a little while ago as part of this mm-hmm. uh, group of three new closer uh, candidates for fantasy, along with the, the two Tanners. Uh, Graveman, I think it's easy to presume, would it would just be filling in while uh, Liam Hendricks is out. But weighing those three, uh, and again, understanding, Greg, that, yeah, this is all situational, you know, depending on what mm-hmm. your roster needs are. But in the proverbial vacuum, Kendall Graveman, Tanner Houck, Tanner Scott, who would you be spending uh, the most fab money on this weekend if all three were available in your league? Houck. I just think he has, I think he has the the best team right now of, of those three. And I think he has the trust of Cora. Now, I know Larusa will use Graveman. We just don't know. Now, it could end up being Graveman if the forearm strain from Liam Hendricks turns into something more. And there's a lot of nervous people watching this because it went from, oh, he's just getting a couple of days off to, oh, his arm's a little tight. And then all of a sudden he's on the IL with the forearm strain, which is... You know, a lot of people see that as a precursor to Tommy John. So mm-hmm. we, we're really, really on the fence there. So uh, Hauk is 1A. Uh, 
Graven's 1B, and then Tanner Scott, just because of his team, uh, ends up third in this thing, even though he can end up being the one person that keeps it the whole year. It'd be very White Soxy for that to happen with just the injury luck that that team has had. Oh, yeah. The last it's been a mess. And I mean, they 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 came into this year thinking like, man, we're gonna if we we have if we have leads and after the fifth, like that's it. And now you got Aaron Bummer back on the IL, Garrett Crochet mm-hmm. obviously with Tommy John, Liam Hendricks now on the IL, and again mm-hmm. people holding their breath related to that team, just a total mess for them uh, in the bullpen. Right, right, right when the offense gets healthy too, right? Lance Lynn comes back, <laughs> all these other guys come back, and then boom. The bullpen. Yeah, uh, falls yeah it's like golf. You know, you can't get all. You can't. You can't <laughs> yeah. drive, putt, and use your irons well in the same round. It's always two out of three. Yeah, yeah. It's just. It, it's exactly what the White Sox have been dealing with for the last couple of seasons here. Um, former White Sox, Alex Colome, someone uh, who you, uh, we uh, you referenced at the start of the show. Former mm-hmm. Red Sox, Daniel Bard, talking about these Rockies. If you were making a decision on them right now, like, we know this team is going to be making some moves. Like they have to make some moves. They are obviously not going to be going to the postseason. So if you're making a call on them, you just you you. you Greg, your 15-team fantasy league, you can have one of these guys right now. You know what is staring you and them in the face with the trade deadline. Which one do you want? Which one are you prioritizing? Well, obviously, it would have been Kinley. But uh, I think, (laughs) you know, Robert Stevenson finished last year pretty strong. And he's somebody that has a hard time staying healthy. I don't know if it's just his DNA or whoever you want to do it. But there are short bursts where he flashes. So, if he can turn things around in his next few appearances, then I think he could be worthy of being that stash candidate. Uh, a couple of their guys who throw hard in the minors just don't have the command. Um, so I, I think it could be Stevenson. It's funny because in, in the preseason, a lot of people, a lot of sharps were on him. And then when they when Bard emerged in spring and, and then they signed Colome and all the other things, kind of shuffled him to the back and he got off to a slow start and yada, yada, yada. So uh, long story short, I guess as of today, it would be Robert Stevenson. All right. Well, uh, Texas bullpen, I thought this was kind of a settled situation with Joe Barlow, but uh, do you see anybody maybe working their way into uh, a larger share of saves uh, or, you know, maybe just kind of frame this in the similar way that uh, with the Rockies that uh, do you see Barlow as a trade candidate? Is there anybody that we should be speculating on in Texas right now? I don't think they'll trade Barlow. Um, it's just weird. Two years in a row now, he starts out strong, and then his swinging strike rate evaporates. You know, it happened in 2021. I mean, he still he still um, converted a lot of saves in the second half last year, but once he switched from being a setup to the closer, the, the swinging strike rate dipped. And, and we're seeing that again. That's why I put that chart in my post. Um, what we want to see is uh, Jose Leclerc, how he looks when he – odds are he's going to rejoin the team next week. Um, either that, unless they can get an extension on his rehab, I think they would like to get him one more week in the minors, but, uh, Levi, uh, Weaver reported that Leclerc was going to do a back to back in the next couple of days, get a day off, make one more outing. And then the Rangers will probably promote him. Um, so maybe in a week or two, it could be Leclerc. So I guess if he's available in your league and you want to stash him for a couple of dollars this weekend, it might not be a bad flyer, especially if you have Barlow. Um, that would be the person I speculate on. And then further down the road, Jonathan Hernandez will be on his way back. I almost think Texas is going to approach the trade deadline as a healthy Leclerc and a healthy Hernandez is what they need to help the bullpen, and then they'll figure out other places. Let's stick in the uh, AL West for a second here and talk about the Seattle Mariners. Paul Sewell, Diego Castillo, uh, they seem to be sharing 
the job right now, and both of them have had uh, stretches where they've looked like the best reliever in this team's bullpen. We expected mm-hmm. a lot out of Seawald coming into this year. Uh, hasn't necessarily hit the marks that he hit last season, and of course, mm-hmm. from just a pure save pers- uh, save opportunity and racking up save uh, perspective, you know, this team has been nowhere near as good as we expected them to be to get those save opportunities to the guys in the ninth inning. But that's what we're looking at right now. We're looking at a little bit of Castillo, a little bit of Seawald. Are both these guys holdable right now? Well, uh, in the TGFBI, I was in a pinch, so I added uh, Castillo this weekend for uh, a whopping $27. But I figure he's hot, and he's one of these guys. He's When he's hot, you ride him. Um, and actually, there was an appearance last week where he faced the heart of the order, and then Seawall pitched a ninth. It was almost like a role reversal from last year. Um, so I'm okay with Castillo. There's, there's two factors here is um, Ken Giles has not been doing great in his rehab. But, um, again, they, they felt that with his coming off of the injury he had, it was going to take a longer rehab thing to get him turned around. Um, and then uh, the night before last, Matt Brash recorded his first save at AAA. And I think people are forgetting about, you know, how, how folks were excited about Brash and the money people spent on him and Fob at the beginning of the season. You know, Edwin Diaz was a failed starting pitcher who – transition to the bullpen very well and Matt Brash could follow that same exact suit I mean we know he can hit triple digits on the radar um, if he can get the command in the short stints um, I think Brash and Giles rejoining this bullpen uh, in July could be the shot in the arm that these guys need um, we just don't know if Brash would be like a potential multi-inning guy or if they would keep him kind of in a setup role at the beginning before they gave him a save chance uh, but but those are two two names to track in that bullpen uh, that that could be rejoining it soon and, and make an impact with them and make that you know they functioned best last year when they had Steckenrider, Seawald, and Castillo all pitching well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this might be a situation where if they add those two arms in there and you get um, Eric Swanson filling in that Casey Sadler pivot role where things start clicking again for them. Well, let's talk about the Pirates bullpen, which has been pretty stable. David Bednar has been really good. And one thing mm-hmm. that I, I took note of, Greg, was uh, that uh, in Wednesday's game, Bednar pitched two and two thirds. That is now the fifth save that he's had this year of at least two innings, which I would think mm-hmm. would have to lead the majors. But that does. Um, Okay, it seemed like a pretty safe bet. There you go. <laughs> See, you could do it. You could do this in your sleep. Yeah, uh, but you know, uh, well, Michael and I were talking about this episode uh, what a day or two ago, and, and uh, Michael, you said something about yeah, let's talk about Will Crow. I've got a little bit of a, mm-hmm. a different take here on the Pirates bullpen because Bednar doesn't go up for arbitration for a couple more years. Of course, he's been incredibly yeah. solid. He is not universally rostered, so I think I I would make the argument Bednar is under rostered. Uh, mm-hmm. Rather than over rostered or somebody that maybe we need to be, you know, fading in the coming weeks. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't understand. I mean, I, again, we know the team's not very good, and and his his save last night snapped a nine game losing streak. I mean, they, you know, there was a lot of people on Twitter like, wait, Bednar's coming in in the seventh, and in the back of my head, I said they're just going to let him ride, and and sure enough. I, I fell asleep watching it, but, um, you know, I had that on the TV and, and he did it and, you know, he can be efficient and he's such a, he's, he, he's underappreciated and it's hard to believe, but if he was on a better team, a lot more people would know him. And when you read the quotes from the locker room saying, you know, he, he's got that dog in him and, and we knew, <laughs> we knew he had it locked down. 
Pittsburgh, I mean, Pittsburgh's gotten a lot of bad press. So if, if they're going to promote O'Neill Cruz and they're going to start this whole build on the fly, trading Bednar would really be a bad, bad message to send that locker room. And I think the team would totally revolt if they did that. Now, if they can trade Stratton, sure. Um, and Will Crow would be able to fill in. The two most trusted relievers in the Pirates bullpen are Will Crow and David Bednar right now. And you saw that yesterday. Those two guys took over and, and got that game and snapped that losing streak. So, yes, uh, to what you're saying, Al, Bednar is beyond underappreciated. I highlighted him a couple of weeks ago, and obviously it's still not enough. Yeah, not really, not a really soft spot in that lineup that they went through too, with all those innings going and uh, mm-hmm. finally getting a win against the Cardinals. So an impressive performance certainly from Bednar and Crow. See, most teams we talk about, even these lowly Pittsburgh Pirates, we can find something good to talk about with them. Uh, we don't have to search too hard, too high, too low, too anything to find something good to talk about with the Tampa Bay Rays. And this is a team we always, always, always trust to have a good bullpen. And we're seeing that come to fruition once again this season. In solds leagues, in saves plus holds leagues, how many relievers on this team do you think are viable? Well, actually, right now, I say it's down to about three just because it's been wonky with them, but um, with the injuries and everything else. But right now, Jason Adam, Colin Pache, and um, Ryan Thompson, he had a better outing yesterday. He's been struggling a little bit coming down the stretch here, but... Um, those those three are still very good, and and the top two, Jason Adam and Colin Pache, are two guys again that are uh, underappreciated. But it's because they have to share it um, with all of the injuries they've they've undergone with Fire Rising out and, and Kitcher's done for the year. Um, mm-hmm. These two might get a little bit more burn the next couple of weeks. So um, Adam was my backup bid to Diego Castillo when I was just looking to get uh, an ancillary save guy that at least will help my ratios and still. Uh, get a save here and there. I mean, you know, when you're in a 15-team league, you're not going to get too many primary save shares, especially when you have limited. Uh, I have a limited budget based on guys I bought. I I added earlier in the year, so I'm trying to get guys cheaper before they pop. Um, but that's those those you know, Adam and Pache are two guys that that do. And I couldn't believe Pache the the one weekend when they were playing the Yankees, they had him matched up with Aaron Judge. I was like. You know, when they do their pockets of the lineup, it was uh, mm-hmm. a little surprising to see that's how they felt. But yes, uh, the, the Rays, the Rays relievers and Calvin Fache's showing uh, some nice stuff. So we'll see how they progress and what guys they can get back. That's going to be a huge key um, to them staying viable for the playoffs. Yeah, you know, the Rays, they just they have so many potential options for saves that it's I have hard tracking them all. I really don't know them from Adam. Sorry, I could, could oh that one man, good come one. on. Good one, Al. All right, well, let's, uh, I'll That's slick so away here. And... <laughs> I'm just going to slick away and change the topic here to the Cardinals. Uh, so and this is a saltfish fantasy question for me because I've been rolling G- Giovanni Gallegos out in my 12 teamer, kind of looking over my shoulder every week at what Ryan Helsley is doing. Is it time for me to, uh, to cut ties with Gallegos, uh, maybe look for Helsley uh, in leagues where he's available? I, I think we're at – I will give the Cardinals credit. At the beginning of the season, they said they were going to do closer by calculation, and they've kind of stuck with it. You know, it hasn't been one guy or the other. I mean, it started out with Gallegos, and then Helsley made some inroads, and then just when we thought it was Helsley, Gallegos got to save the other day. Um, and this is the, you know, I use the HLR term a lot in my columns, but it appears when you listen to the broadcast from the Cardinals, uh, Skip Schumacher intimated that he thinks Helsley's the HLR. So when it's the, 
you know, three, four, five or two, three, four part of the lineup. If it's in the eighth inning, it might end up being Helsley, which would open the door for Gallegos to get the save. And then vice versa, if the if that heart of the lineup's coming up in the ninth, then plan on Helsley being there. So I think both are still viable just because they're a good team and they're going to use both of them. Just, just plan on you're not going to get every save and then you're okay. Mm-hmm. It's truth with a lot of teams, and we know that, and that's been the case in Minnesota really all mm-hmm. season long here. It appears perhaps that Emilio yeah. Pagan, though, is starting to, I don't know if I want to say totally, distance himself from Joan Duran, but at least maybe be the preferred guy. How confident mm-hmm. are you in that, that that's the split? You know, this is a team that, you know, leading the AL Central, basically been a wire-to-wire first-place team to this point of the season, should feel like they're headed to the playoffs, so probably not a whole lot of changes to the key players in Minnesota. So we can look at this bullpen and say, these are probably the guys, unless they add before the deadline. If it is just Pagan and Duran that we're looking at in the back end of this bullpen, you know, how confident are you that what we're seeing right now between those two is what remains for the rest of the year? Um, I hate to say it as a as a fan of the Durantula, but yeah, it's it's been Pagan getting the primary save share, and and he has improved. You know, I was critical of him earlier in the season because of his high uh, home run per fly ball rate last year and some other things. But, you know, the Twins have helped him tune up his arsenal and he's doing much better. Um, so unless Pagan hits a rough patch, uh, it looks like he's he's the primary. Now, I won't say Duran still won't get a save here or there, but in a 12-team league, I, I'd probably be uh, willing to move on from him and take a shot somewhere else, even though he's still providing strikeouts and things of that nature. Uh, and in Sold's league, a sleeper in his bullpen is Griffin Jacks. I think he's going to take the uh, the setup innings away from Joe Smith going forward and in in a in a Souls League he'd be an upside guy to uh, get now before before he uh, you know gets taken off of the waiver wire. Well, uh, Greg, is I know we're going to be wrapping up here soon, but we've talked about a lot of bullpens. Uh, we'll talk about one more here. So all these teams, you know, moving to these more uh, flexible bullpen arrangements provides us with mm-hmm. you know lots of content every time we do a bullpen episode. So uh, we'll uh, talk about one more team here, the Giants. And uh, I had some skepticism going into the year that this was going to be uh, Camilo Duval's job uh, to to just run with and he was really sort of being drafted that way going forward looking at the next uh, almost four months I mean do you think that's going to be the case is this a Duval and McGee situation are there additional relievers that you think are going to uh, figure into saves every time we trust Gabe Kapler he pulls the rug the rug out from under us so <laughs> but they win you know, they win right Why no they, they are they are doing they're they're winning games and and you can't you can't deny that um <laughs> the, the key with these fluid bullpens is as long as the manager or the staff is telling these guys hey this this week you're doing a b or c like you know al you've got the one two three hitters michael you've got the three four five hitters or, or excuse me, four, five, six, and, and and Jewett, you've got the you've got the bottom of the bottom of the lineup when we're getting into these from the seventh inning on. So then I'm like, okay, then I know what I'm doing. Or Al, you you're you're the lefty specialist, so you're gonna get you're gonna get the Bellinger portion of the of the batting order, and then you know things of that nature. So they they've had their last three saves were by three different people, and then yesterday, you know, Dominic Leon was in the ninth inning. Um, I, I think it's going to be fluid for the next month, and then depending on how players perform or injuries, then things might 
um, shake out like last year when, you know, people forget last year, McGee and Rogers were splitting saves, I believe in June. And then from July on, it kind of settled on McGee. Um, so I think we're still in a, you know, trial, trial by fire and Kapler seeing who can do what, and then he might formalize what they're going to do from July, July on. Um, so just play, I, I, I take it that way. So I still, I still keep Duval atop of the, of the, you know, the leverage ladder, but he's not, he's not like the sole save person by any means right now. Always something to talk about with bullpens in the majors <laughs> as it relates to the fantasy baseball world. And we've got just the guy to talk about it with us on The Athletic. Greg Jewett, you can follow him on Twitter at GJewett, J-E-W-E-T-T-9. And be sure to catch all the great written work that Greg does for us right here at The Athletic. Greg, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Baseball Pod. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Always always great talking with you guys. I'm, I'm sure we'll be doing this again once or twice before the trade deadline. I am sure we will as well. Do not hide. I know. I like. I know you're a teacher for your regular job. I know it is summer. School's out. You're feeling good. You've got some time off, but we're going to need you to give some of that time back to the students of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast if you can. <laughs> With pleasure. <laughs> uh, all right, that's going to do it for this episode of TAFBP. CL still got that acronym down. Even half an hour later, for Al, for Greg, I am Michael Beller. Thanks so much for listening, Alan. DVR another acronym with you tomorrow breaking down the waiver wire heading into the weekend. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you all next week. 